0: Let's listen to MSNBC, Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC, the YouTube channel. for you to be back uh, seeing
1: this again in Minnesota.
2: Well, thank you, Lawrence. It's great to be with you. I feel like, I think a lot of people feel on the streets of Brooklyn Center tonight and all across my state, a sense of exhaustion, um, grief, and also anger and frustration. I mean, how many times do we have to see a black man die, be killed, be murdered at the hands of law enforcement? And it keeps happening over and over again. I was talking today or communicating with my friend, Valerie Castile, who's the mother of Philando Castile, who died in another uh, traffic uh, incident with her, her, her son, Philando. And Valerie said, how many more panels, how many more expert groups do we have to have bringing forward ideas before something finally changes? She says, I want solutions. And that is what I see and feel in the Brooklyn Center and in my community of Minneapolis tonight.
1: You have said that this is another incident of what you call
2: over-policing. How would you control that? What I hear from folks that live in North Minneapolis, and Brooklyn Center, and in communities of color all over my state is they feel over-policed and underprotected. So when they need help from law enforcement, they can't find it, but when they are simply driving and minding their own business, they end up being pulled over in a traffic uh, stop that could be fatal. Um, That has got to change. That is the system of policing in our country and in my state that has got to change. And we know what to do. We just have to find the will to do it. In the uh, legislation that we put forward after the tragic murder of George Floyd almost a year ago, we put forth the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that would help to get at the challenges we have holding police officers accountable, addressing the issues of qualified immunity, getting rid of these excessive use of force uh, uh, standards that we have in police departments all over this country. Those would be some specific things that we can do. Yet right now, those are being stopped in the United States Senate and that is a tragedy that is gonna continue to be a tragedy unless we uh, take action.
1: Senator, what is your confidence level in the Washington County District Attorney's Office to handle this case, and should it uh, be handled the same way the George Floyd case was handled and moved to the Attorney General, the State Attorney General's jurisdiction?
2: Well, I think the most important thing is that the person who is prosecuting the case has some uh, distance from the law enforcement that are... Uh, That are the defendant that that is the defendant in this case. Uh, So, you know, I don't know the prosecutor uh, personally uh, in the county. I have great confidence in what uh, Attorney General Ellison is doing right now with the Derek Chauvin trial. I think that he is prosecuting the case vigorously. And that is what we need. That is what the community wants to see: somebody who is really has all of their heart and all of their energy into getting accountability for these cases. Because you need to have justice for the, uh, the the killings of Dante Wright and George Floyd, but you also have to be able to address the systems that allow this to happen over and over again.
1: And what about at the federal level? Is there anything that can be done? Uh, from your position in the Senate?
2: Well, I mean, we should be passing right now, we should be taking up the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, and that would make a huge difference for our ability to stop the worst of these excessive use of force uh, standards and also make it easier to hold police officers accountable. But the other thing to be a little bit optimistic in this such a grim moment is that there are examples of innovation happening in local police departments all over the country. And I propose legislation that would have the federal government support those innovations as we reimagine what public safety can look like. And if we were able to pass my legislation as well, we'd be able to support those, uh, those, those, those not experiments, but efforts to really try to change the way we do this over-policing and under-protecting so that those local departments can actually make the kind of changes that they need. That would make a difference, too.
1: Where we are seeing, uh, you're sharing a screen with the kinds of stresses that cities are facing across this country uh, because of the way police officers have been using deadly force. What is your reaction to this situation in Center tonight in the Minneapolis area generally, and how they are trying to maintain the peace with the combination of a curfew and a very large police presence there.
0: Yeah, well, Lawrence, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here with you this evening. Uh, first and foremost, my condolences to the family of Dante Wright, um, and as a mother of a black son, I know all too often how how fearful um, mothers can be when their sons leave their house. Uh, My son and I have the talk uh, one too many times, uh, too many times for me to remember. And to watch uh, uh, this uh, this energy in Brooklyn Center, uh, Minnesota, uh, reminds me of Ferguson. And I know that many of my friends who frontline protesters are having uh, some traumatic experiences watching this play over and over and over again. And it's bringing back memories of the times that they spent on the streets of Ferguson.
1: I believe your, your son Aiden is 13 years old. How old was he when you first had your talk with him?
0: Uh, he was about six or seven uh, because he goes to school in a, a all white suburb. And I had to remind him that, uh, You know that that these things can happen um, when uh, if a police officer pulls you over and he's told he told me at about 10 when he was walking with some friends um, in their neighborhood uh, that they were that they were stopped and and asked questions by police and and unfortunately they continued to go but that was his first memory of feeling afraid um, when a police officer approached him
1: what does it mean and what do you hope it will mean to policing in St. Louis of, with the, now that you will be the city's first black woman mayor?
0: Well, one of the things I said during my campaign is that we can't reform our way out of this. We have to transform our public safety systems. And uh, and the, one of the things that hit me like a ton of bricks is, again, through another talk I had with my son, is that when he found out that I was running for mayor and what the mayor does and how the mayor is over the police, he said, well, that means that I'll be safe. You know, and how many children does that happen to where their mother becomes the mayor and then all of a sudden they feel safe? That's a one in a million chance. And his mother shouldn't have to become mayor in order for him to feel safe uh, when when he encounters law enforcement.
1: What help do you think mayors need around this country, uh, especially direction from Washington on how to improve policing?
0: You know, I think that President Biden uh, is headed in the right direction with some of the uh, the things that he's trying to do with the executive orders. You know, our gun laws are, are really out of control. But let me be clear, I do support responsible gun ownership, but America has seemed to take it to another level. Uh, you don't need an AR-15 to, to hunt deer. Um, and so we have to uh, we have to make sure that our gun laws are, are responsible and that takes it away from the people who don't need to own them. Uh, it, we are experiencing—it you know, seems like every week that we see a new uh, mass shooting on our televisions, and unfortunately, you know, we've developed a callous that we shouldn't uh, as a rea- as a response to watching uh, people lose their lives at the hands of gun violence.
1: Uh, we are just uh, minutes away from the. Uh curfew officially going into place uh, in Minneapolis, the whole Minneapolis area, including Brooklyn Center, which was the first to have a curfew. Uh, you saw Ferguson, Missouri living under a curfew for uh, quite a while during those uh, protests uh, and the police response to those protests there. Have we learned anything in the last five years about how to ha- about how cities and police departments can handle these protests?
0: Uh, Obviously not, because St. Louis City has experienced its own form of uh, of, of violating uh, people's First Amendment rights uh, during protests. We are just weeks away from a verdict uh, where an off-duty police officer was beaten by his colleagues uh, during a protest in 2017 in St. Louis. Uh, So we have to, uh, again, get away from this old and tired arrest and incarcerate model to one that leads with prevention. Because that's the only thing that's going to keep us from from having these situations over and over and over again.
3: from former President Obama, the fact that this could happen even as the city of Minneapolis is going through the trial of Derek Chauvin and reliving the heart wrenching murder of George Floyd indicates not just how important it is to conduct a full and transparent investigation but also just how badly we need to reimagine policing and public safety in this country. If that uh, uh, point seems familiar to our viewers, uh, our guest just made it seconds ago, and Wes, the question is, what does Biden need to do uh, on a policy, public education standpoint, that perhaps the duo Obama-Biden was unable to do during their time? Certainly. It is a remarkable statement from President Obama, who had to, when he was in office.
4: Really walk a tightrope on these issues to the frustration of many of the activists and to frankly many Black Americans who thought that he had to pull his punches a bit because, as happened time and time again, when he would wait in, there would it would be demagogued and there would be such backlash from the right. You can think of the Skip Gates incident and the Trayvon Martin incident, where for saying things as as straightforward as if I had a son, he looked like Trayvon Martin, President Obama was basically was almost run out of office by congressional Republicans or, or at least they made it sound like they were willing to. In this case, it's going to be really interesting, and, and really, um, I'm very interested to watch and see what the Biden administration does. As the earlier guests were noting, um, if they can get them confirmed, they've got people like Kristen Clark and Vinny Gupta, who are veterans of this space, who know, these, who know these issues like the back of their hand, who, frankly, have great track records, not just with activists and reformers, but with the police themselves, people who are willing to work on these issues. What's difficult here, um, you know, I believe, I believe the Biden administration uh, and their officials when they say they care about these issues, this is a top priority. For them. What is difficult here is that in the United States of America policing is a local and state government issue. It's not an issue in which the Department of Justice or the Presidency or the White House can just come in in a, in a swooping piece of legislation and change how policing works in America. We have eighteen thousand police departments, many of whom operate as relatively independent local militias um, it's weird to think of them that way but that's what it is in reality they report to their police chief and then to whoever hires them be it a city council or a mayor uh, they have state laws they uh report to but those vary 50 different sets of laws and the feds do have limited power in terms of what their real oversight is and even the conversations that have been had whether it be about the george floyd justice policing act or other congressional uh potential fixes are things that when you dive in, actually, while they take steps, many people would like to see in policing, do not reimagine policing in a fundamental and foundational way. So what's going to be interesting here is if the Biden administration can find a way to put their foot on the scale, to facilitate, I don't want to say a national conversation because we've been down that road many times, but to facilitate a type of change across these is more oversight of policing which might add new tools to their toolbox to help reform some of these issues that come up time and time again. The one thing I always note is that even when it's not in the headlines, we're not paying attention to the work of myself and my colleagues at the Washington Post who killed, still keep the fatal force uh, database going, finds that three people are shot and killed by the police every single day, whether they make the headlines or they don't. This is something that is always present in our society, and and so therefore, something that, again, even when it's not the political issue of the moment, even when a street is not on fire, this is something that's happening and affecting American families.
3: And earlier protests continue over the fatal shooting of 20-year-old Dante Wright, killed by a police officer during a traffic stop. This morning, that officer, now former officer, Kim Potter, was arrested, taken into custody on a charge of second degree manslaughter. She was released tonight after posting bond. Her first court appearance set for tomorrow. The charge comes a day after she and the Brooklyn Center police chief both resigned.
1: In less than a week, the district attorney made the decision that we will charge this officer and the family of Dante Wright will get to have their day in court.
3: Now, if convicted, Potter would face a sentence of up to a decade in prison. Let's talk about this charge against the now former police officer who we saw on video firing the shot that killed Dante Wright. Uh, Second degree manslaughter in the parlance of the law, man two. Is it the right charge in your view? Well, first of
5: all, great to be here tonight, Brian, is it the right charge? I would have to say that given what we saw, and we have to trust our eyes, I think there should have been a charge, but I believe that the district attorney felt that this would stick, and it's only the beginning. This is the first charge. It might evolve as the facts unfold.
3: And CK, finally back to you, a question that calls for your analysis as much as your lawyering, and here it is. How might the outcome of the Chauvin trial affect the disposition, the handling, and the case in the murder of Dante Wright?
5: think it's going to have a tremendous impact for so many reasons. When we look at this case at the Derek Chauvin trial, we have to realize that all eyes, not just in Minnesota, not just throughout this country, but throughout the world, are focused on what happened because of the significance of this case. You know, for the African-American community, just the irony of at the height of this trial during the prosecutor's case, that another 20-year-old young man is killed in the same state with such recklessness is just it's, it's just it creates a frenzy and a sense of desperation a sense of sadness and intense sadness in our communities and amongst our in, our in our civil rights organizations in our legal community and really it's not just in the african-american community but just throughout the country so whatever happens whatever happens in that trial is undoubtedly going to have an impact on another case in the same community. And the reason for that is because they're linked. Police brutality is a real, is a pandemic. It is a pandemic. And that's why the National Bar is focused on police brutality is one of the major areas. That's why the Congressional Black Caucus is meeting with President Biden to say this has got to stop. There's got to be widespread federal reform in addition to what we do in the states and the localities. So we've got to watch this very closely because if for some reason Derek Chauvin is acquitted, it's going to have such a strong impact in that community. And for and consciously takes chances at causing the death of this young, young man and his family, the right family, will never be the same. Actually, Minnesota will never be the same. Our community will never be the same. So there's got to be accountability. So if there's no accountability in the Derek Chauvin case, then people will feel there's no not going to be any accountability in the right case, and that's going to cause massive, massive havoc, more havoc, more protests and in this country. And so the president has to step up. That's why the Congressional Black Caucus, I believe, is, is meeting with the president about these issues. It's time for a
6: change. This has got to stop. Can you share with us? So she was arrested at 11.30 a.m. local time, about four and a half hours ago. She does have an attorney. It goes by the name of Earl Gray. He's actually the attorney former officer lane who was involved in the death of george floyd obviously that trial continuing now as the defense is putting on their case so people here in minnesota feel like this has sort of been an onslaught of these very bad instances that are resulting in the deaths of unarmed african-americans certainly this is a very serious charge could come with up to 10 years in prison it's pretty clear that the washington county attorney uh, put this charge on first because they feel like this is one that could stick. They could add charges, certainly, in the coming weeks. This could be the first one, but the charges brought officially. She's actually been booked into a Hennepin County jail facility, which is where she is right now, Allison.
2: So, Cal, how did the county attorney decide here on second-degree manslaughter charges?
6: So that charge certainly seems to fit uh, with the intentional act that results in the death Of somebody. This, as I said, I think is probably a charge. And when you look at these police involved shootings, this is a charge that the uh, county attorney thinks can stick, that a jury could convict on. Certainly, when it comes to these cases, you want to try to put uh, the alleged defendant on the back foot. Certainly, that seems to be the case here. Again, uh, this is a charge that people are familiar with. The police officer who was charged in the shooting of Plano Castillo in Castile, excuse me, in uh, 2016 was charged with second degree manslaughter. Uh, it's i think in the eyes of the prosecutor it's a very reachable charge it's one that could stick alice
2: cal dante wright's brother says he is not too happy with that manslaughter charge uh, and he's expecting more protests tonight what are you hearing uh, from the community this afternoon i could see folks gathering behind you now
6: yeah so i think it's really two things it's certainly the charge itself they were hoping for a first degree manslaughter charge or a murder charge be that Uh, second degree or third degree certainly that was the hope it'll be interesting to see you know whether or not the crowds come out tonight very small crowd last night but uh, one that seemed dedicated to having a confrontation with police and that's what we saw the other thing that we're hearing certainly from lawyers and, and from some of the legislators here in the state of Minnesota is that there needs to be legislative reform That the laws need to change and this is of course happening around the country we saw this in Kentucky on a state level after Breonna Taylor we've seen this now on a national level the george floyd justice in policing act there's a lot of discussion about that that federal law which could change the way uh, that policing is done in america and i think you're going to hear more of that certainly as we get closer to a verdict as well in the george floyd case uh, just 10 miles from here else
2: yeah just incredible the close proximity between the chauvin trial and where you are cal perry thanks so much